Hello, and welcome to The Interview. I'm Ada McLaughlin, the Editor-in-Chief of Mediaite. My guest this week is Fox News anchor Bill Hemmer. Bill has been anchoring from Fox's almost empty Manhattan studios throughout the pandemic. He was recently named co-anchor alongside Dana Perino of America's Newsroom, Fox's two-hour morning show that starts at 9 a.m. He's been an anchor at Fox News for 16 years, and before that was a host at CNN for a decade. I called him up on Tuesday to discuss his new show on Fox, working from the studio this year, and whether he thinks New York will recover from the pandemic. We also spoke about Fox's opinion side and what he thinks of the cable news competition. Bill Hemmer is co-anchor of America's Newsroom on Fox News. Bill, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Uh, good. Uh, we just got done with a couple hours. And um, uh, I don't know when your viewers and listeners and readers will see this, but we're getting ready for the big speech tomorrow night uh, in, uh, in Congress. Yeah. Um, now, I want to talk about your your show, uh, the new one, um, America's Newsroom. So you've worn a few hats in your time at Fox News. Uh, Most recently, before that, you anchored the 3 p.m. hour. Uh, Now you're on America's Newsroom, which is a two-hour morning show that starts at 9 a.m., and you co-host it with Dana Perino. Are you enjoying that new role? Uh, I love working with Dana. She's terrific. Um, She's got a lot to say about everything, which I really enjoy. Uh, she comes very well prepared. We had a great relationship. I think we're off to a great start. I think she would say the, thing, <laughs> the same. Uh, we both like to have this, you know, this joyous approach to our work. And um, she has said that to me and I've spoken to her about it also. So we, 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 we see a lot of things the same way, which when you're spending that much time with uh, another person every day, it really, really helps. So. And what do you think of the new time slot, right? It's obviously 9 to 11 a.m. That's sort yeah. of like launching the day. Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed the 9 a.m. slot. And mm-hmm. over the past, I started CNN in 1995. Now we're in 2021. 21. That's 26 <laughs> years. Uh, I have found myself in that slot uh, mm-hmm. for a, a real long chunk, a, a big period of the 9 a.m. The thing I love about it is that you come out of the morning shows and then you get the first word on the biggest news for the stories, whatever the stories are that day. And it's um, what, what I would say, though, is that whether like the news is pumping or whether it's you're kind of in a like a uh, maybe a softer period for news, uh, you still get a crack at it. And um, if the news is significant enough, we're out in the field covering it. Um, that, that that slot just seems to be the launching point for the rest of the day. And that's why mm. I enjoy it so much. Yeah. And it's a little more newsy fair than like the morning shows, which, which I prefer. To, yeah. yeah. Uh, now one moment that I very much enjoyed, which I think shows off the difference between anchoring, say an afternoon or evening show and a morning show. Uh, it's a, it was a moment from America's newsroom from February where you mediated a debate between Chris Hahn and Matt Schlapp. He's the president, Please. but we can never vote okay. for president like that ever again. Matt, Please. Chris, thanks Please. for Matt, I hope you guys The only legal vote was cast by a Republican you guys, by a dead mom. You Give guys, are, oh, whoa, hey now, hey now. Okay. You, you guys will be great in a bar, but not at 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, really? <laughs> I like both of those gentlemen an awful lot. Hmm. I also know that they believe strongly uh, what they talk about when they share their views. Uh, yeah, I remember it quite well. Is it a challenge hosting a uh, show in the morning that covers news and often contentious topics, knowing that the audience might not be ready for sort of the heavy stuff yeah, that early? I, I think it's a great question. Uh, and you really have to like feel it out in the moment. Uh, I agree with you during that time of day, people really, their, their appetite is, is likely more suited for a more civil conversation. Hmm. However, um, 
You cannot dictate the feelings and the strong thoughts that some of our guests have. What you can, however, is try and find a way to referee that where the audience is not turned off. I mean, what, what I find, Aiden, is that the passion is great. Uh, it's really a lot of what cable news is about when you think about it. Um, and when you bring that emotion to the arguments, some people will reward a, a guest for, um, for that view. It's just when the voices start going, talking over each other that the audience, um, you know, they're trying to lock in an idea and they're trying to think about it and consume it quickly. And th that's where things can get sticky. Yeah, I think, yeah, when it's sort of an incredibly messy sort of back and forth, you know, it's the kind of thing that works really well on social media and that, you know, readers of media sometimes like to watch. But I can imagine a viewer sitting at home, they have no interest in, in watching sort of a- Probably you know, not. The other thing is that they got so many ideas at one time, you know, if, if you're going to go mm. rapid fire, you're, a lot of those ideas that you feel strongly about are going to shoot over the heads of the people watching. Mm. Now, we're more than a year into the coronavirus pandemic, and unlike a lot of cable news hosts and shows, you, as from what I understand, have remained in the studio mostly throughout. Um, what's that been like? Um, it's uh, an experience I'll never forget. I, I, I've, people say, you know, what's the biggest story you covered, right? I mean, everybody thinks about 9-11, rightfully so, because it changed so many things for the next 20 years for our country and overseas. But I, I, Aiden, um, I don't say this lightly. We are in the middle of perhaps the biggest story of our lives. Mm. And I think everything in your life uh, will be determined by the following thought. Uh, what happened pre-COVID? What happened post-COVID? And what happened during COVID? And we are still in that DC period. Uh, and I, th I think that's a big way that we're going to look at our lives after this. Now, you mentioned 9-11. Um, earlier in your career, you did a lot of field reporting across the world, um, including in Afghanistan in, in 2001. Uh, now that you're in the anchor chair full time, do you miss being out in the field? Um, uh, here's my feeling on it. Uh, when it is right to travel, we'll still do it. When the story meets that moment, we'll still do it. COVID changed things in a lot of ways. You asked me about coming in the studio. Look, I, 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 I did a few shows out of my basement out of the east end <laughs> of Long Island. And I didn't like it. I don't like the delay. Um, I don't think it's a good feeling. And I much preferred being in the belly of the beast here in Midtown Manhattan. Um, I also thought it was it was important to be here uh, on behalf of the company. That, that was the decision I made. And I, I take no offense with my other colleagues who have worked from home for a year. That's their choice as well. But I just thought it was important to be here. I, I've, I felt safe and okay the entire time. Um, I think the viewership, I think this is very interesting. I think the viewers have given us enormous, they've been very forgiving mm. uh, over what I call COVID cable. COVID cable has delays, one second or more oftentimes. They got people talking over each other. You ask a question, the viewer doesn't hear. Uh, you ask it again, it might take 30 seconds to get to the gist of it. Um, People are FaceTiming on TV and the audience is okay with all of that. It, it's really surprised me. And I, I think that's been one of the uh, revealing aspects of this story. When we come out of it, TV is going to be different. Mm. You, you're going to accept the Skype call and yep. think, okay, well, this is, just way, this is just the way we do it now. I think the other thing for those who are involved in the business, they will be accessible 24-7 uh, in a way that they were not before because whether you're on your iPhone in your car or whether you're away for the weekend or on a vacation, um, if you are needed, 
people can reach you. And that, that's not going to change. That's going to be here. Yeah, I remember I, I was doing a, a hit um, a couple of weeks ago and I was informing the booker that I was going to be on a train. I was like, oh, I'm going to be on the LIRR. Yeah, no problem. Like, that's, that's fine. We'll just call you from there. I was like, I can't do a hit from the LIRR. Um, but it, you're right. It is, I, and I bet yeah. the booker said, but they've got Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you, you are right, though. Audiences are definitely more uh, forgiving. I remember when, um, when Morning Joe, when uh, uh, Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough started doing uh, Morning Joe sort of from different places. I think uh, Joe Scarborough was down in Florida and Mika was up in New York. Mm-hmm. And viewers were kind of outraged at that, that they weren't in the studio together and that you sort of lost a bit of the chemistry there. And now all of cable is done from, you know, these little boxes, uh, you know, around the country. Um, and viewers are, are a lot more forgiving. But it sounds like that you, you've been coming in just because you're missing out on a little bit of that, I, I guess, the personal aspect of having an interview um, you know, from a studio as opposed to having it over Skype. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly, I don't like the delay. Um, yeah. it's, it's just awkward. It's, it's annoying. And you, you want to try and eliminate as much as you can from that. But the great thing about starting this new program with Dana is that both of us are, are in the studio every day. And I think it makes a real difference because our ability to communicate with one another is, mm. is so much better than it would be uh, from a couple of basements spread apart by, by a couple of states in between. And so you, I imagine it's changed a little bit now because New York's sort of coming back to life a little bit in the last couple of months. Yeah, I um, got a lot of feelings on that. I do intend on getting into that. But, um, you know, it's New York uh, a year ago, I think when you were first, when, when you were coming into the studio, uh, I guess after you stopped doing it from home, um, was it eerie to be in Manhattan and to be in the fuck, you know, the, the News Corp headquarters when they were just barren and empty? Yeah. Um, like, what was that like? Uh, indeed, it was. I, I work on a floor. My, my office is on a floor where I think you could probably hold four soccer fields out there. Wow. And there, I mean, for a long time, there were probably four or five people here for the course of an entire day. Yeah. Uh, me and my colleague would sit in this corner of, of the floor and there's there's no one else around. I, I look out of this. I'm on the 20th floor right now in Midtown Manhattan, 48th Street. I look across the street of the building across the way. I haven't seen a human being move in any one of these windows, Aiden, in 13, 14 months. Wow. Um, I was in the dentist chair on Monday afternoon and 17th floor, uh, 53rd Madison. I'm, I'm sitting there for an hour, half an hour, whatever it was, um, close to an hour, I'd say. And I'm looking at across the street and there's, there's nobody moving. And I, I used to think that Midtown Manhattan real estate was the most valuable real estate in the world because I thought anyone who wants to do business in America or the world for that matter has to find herself uh, in Midtown Manhattan at a particular time. Mm. Uh, it's framed by the UN on the East River. Then you've got all the Wall Street movement up Park Avenue that's happened since 9-11. Um, it's, it, it's valuable real estate mm. and it's a ghost town. Yeah. Now, I... I was just in Florida two weeks ago. I had a wedding down there. I spent 10 days in Florida. It was great. I mm-hmm. loved it. It's such a different world. And I think a lot of my New York colleagues and friends who have moved down there are getting ready to come back to New York. And I, I think they have the impression that they're going to walk back into their old New York life. And it ain't, it ain't like that. Um, I, I'm bearish on the city. A lot of people tell me I'm wrong about that. I hope I am. It was two years after 9-11 to recover. It was two years after 08-09 for the recession. Uh, to recover. Maybe it's two years now. Maybe it's more. I'm not sure. I think with regard to certain neighborhoods in Greenwich Village, I live in the village, mm. whether it's East Village or West Village, maybe Soho and Tribeca, those neighborhood areas seem to have 
more of the New York feel now than you would find in Midtown, which is uh, primarily business, more so than residents, but, but primarily business. But it's it's empty. Yeah. And I, I, I'd like to give you a better report because I've loved this city for the past 20 years. I mean, when I moved to New York in 0102, I, the Chamber of Commerce had hired me because no one talked about Gotham and Manhattan with, with a more glowing praise than I did. And so many of the great things of New York have been ripped out from it. The restaurants, the shows, the movies, the interaction you have with people from all walks of life at a cocktail party or a meeting or just walking down the street to people you bump mm -hmm. into. All of those things that made this place so dynamic have been stripped from it. Yeah. And, you know, I think, it, you know, not only is it sort of the the restrictions on, you know, whether restaurants can be open and stuff. I also think that there is, and this will take a while to get over, there is a trauma from just how hard COVID hit New York, you know, particularly compared to, to other states. Um, you know, in March, I remember it was it was kind of, it was scary, you know, the, the, the case levels and the death levels in New York. Um, but... I think now there does, I mean, I remember back in, in March, it really was empty, but, you know, I was in the village last weekend. It was a sunny day and people were really out. Yeah. Um, How did it feel to you? Uh, it felt like it was coming. It was on its way back. Um, I had dinner at Waverly Inn. It was right. packed. You know, there was, there were a lot of people there. Uh, I was outside, but um, I do think, you know, if, if we're on track the way England is at really like crushing the virus and the way Israel was um, with vaccinations. Um, I think by May, June, New York will be in a place that's, you know, it'll be similar to the way Miami is right now. Wow. Really, you know, in the, the exception of, of some, you know, mask mandates and stuff, there's not much of a sense that we're in the middle of, you know, a, a, a pandemic. I appreciate um, your optimism. I'm I optimistic. Right. <laughs> well, I did ask, uh, I had Sanjay Gupta on this podcast uh, two weeks ago. And one of my questions was when when he thought that we would be able to be indoors at like a club or a packed bar without a mask. Um, and he was fairly confident but that by the summer with a combination of natural immunity and vaccinations that we'd get there. I hope he's right. I know yeah. I've known Sanjay for a long time. I was mm -hmm. in his wedding years ago in Charleston. Oh, really? Yeah. So he and I, are, you know, we're, we're close and yeah. uh, we're friends and we'll always stay that way. Uh, I hope he's right about that. Mm. Um well, so but, it seems yeah. to me like those who are making the decisions just mm. they've been very slow to go ahead and, and go ahead and cross that line that you're describing. And I yeah. think it's, uh, well, I was I was reading a, a, a profile uh, of you in New York Magazine, which you might remember um, from 2003. Um, and Darren Kagan, one of your former co-anchors, had a quote uh, about you that delighted me. Um, about you moving to New York, and uh, she said, "If New York were a woman, Bill would marry her." <laughs> Um, so it, it, do you still feel the I, same, same I, way I about the city? I remember Darren saying that too. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. Good, good, good research there. Yeah, I got to do a little background uh, hats research. off the back for that. Yeah. Um, do I still feel that today? <laughs> not, not so much. We might be filing papers. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what the leaders are going to do. I don't yeah. know who the leaders are going to be. I don't know what's going to happen as well to be uh, the raising of taxes yet again. I'm not, mm. I mean, it's just, it's, this is a, a complex time. And for those who can predict the future, I'm not quite sure that I'm in that category that can do it well. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a lot of people have fled for Florida and in the end, they may be the winners and maybe there'll be a drift back here. Uh, I know a lot of people who are here in Manhattan think the latter is going to happen, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I've seen a, a few faces that I saw decamp to to Florida. I've seen them pop up in New York recently and it's starting to make me think that, that, uh, that they're going to be 
uh, trudging back up here. But um, one thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, not only the adjustment of, of anchoring during a, during a pandemic and also anchoring a new show, um, there's also the question of adjusting to a new administration. I'm wondering what you see uh, as the differences between covering the Biden era versus covering the Trump one. Uh, night and day. Yeah. Uh, really. Um, when, when Sandra Smith and I were doing the morning show from nine to noon, um, we were we felt like we were riding on the back of a of um, <clears throat> a tour de force of cable news every day. Um, and this administration has taken a very different approach. I don't know how long it lasts, but right now they've set a pace that is um, uh, very different from the one prior. Uh, maybe it changes, maybe it doesn't, but um, th th there is a reason, Aiden, to really follow your Twitter feed uh, in 07, 08, 09 in 2020. And mm. you don't feel that same level of movement right now. Mm. Do you think that's a good thing? I mean, obviously, for for cable news viewers and for ratings, um, the Biden era is is far less, you know, uh, it's far less lucrative, I guess, than the Trump era, um, because people were really glued to their screens and their phones. And, and you know, mm -hmm. obviously, New York Times subscriptions went through the roof um, during that era, as did cable ratings. Um, but there is a case to be made that a quieter administration is better. You know, should does politics need to be loud and noisy and always making news? Or is it better to have a president that sort of trudges along and, and gets things done? Yeah, my feeling is you're 100 days in as of tomorrow, and we'll see whether or not the current pace stands. Mm. Um, but there, you're right. There is a certain velocity to cable news that attracts an audience. And when viewers tune in and they want to know what's happening with A, B, C, or D, uh, if, if there's not energy in that story, they'll probably find something else to do. Um, but it is a fact that Trump was very good for a lot of us in the business, and not just at Fox, but CNN and MSNBC, and the networks as well. He was a um, he was a newsmaker in every way, almost every hour of the day. Particularly on on Twitter, I should note. Uh, did, did were you ever on the receiving end of a Trump tweet? Um, I, I on a few of them, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I can tell you what happens when when that takes place. You can no. watch the. The the incoming, good, bad, positive, negative, pro con, just fill up your box one after the other after the other, and it probably goes for three days. Three days, wow. Three days. Um, hours. Now, do, do you did you have a good relationship him with him? Was it sort of antagonistic at all on, on his end, or was it fairly professional? I don't think uh, a relationship. I meant more, more professional than anything else. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know him well. Um, had the opportunity. The reason I ask is, yeah, had is he did, he came, sorry, he came to you for one of his for few post presidency interviews. Um, one of the uh, it was uh, I believe in February he did an interview on on America's Newsroom. Um, so I'm wondering how how that sort of thing comes to be. Yeah, I think it was the death of Rush Limbaugh, as I recall, mm. and yeah. um, he he joined us for his reflections on. Uh, the life of Limbaugh by, by telephone. Um, and uh, yes, that was February. I can't remember the date. Hmm. Um, I can Google it, but that would be rude in front of you right now. Did I have a relationship <laughs> with him more professional than anything else? Um, mm -hmm. Had the opportunity to interview him a couple of times, obviously went on office, but look, Aiden, he did a lot of interviews, uh, interviews along the way. It's true. Yeah. Um, now, as a news reporter that uh, covered everything from the White House to international conflict. Um, 
I'm wondering what you made of the election fight, which was a, a huge story in, in American politics and news, and then the culmination of that in the Capitol attack on January 6th. What, what was that like covering that? And, and, and what did you see that as in sort of the broader context of, of American politics? Yeah, here's how I frame it. I was on the air at 11.20 p.m. on election night uh, when we called Arizona. Mm. And I was on the air from Atlanta, Georgia, the day after the Senate races. Um, yeah, so that's January 6th now from two o'clock in the afternoon, I think until about five o'clock. So it was the full four hours for what was happening on the Hill. Um, couldn't believe my eyes, uh, did not know where it was going, did not know where it would end. And at one particular moment, um, we had noticed several times that there seemed to be no movement with the people who were just lingering and loitering outside the Capitol building. And I, we were all curious as to how these people were going to be ushered away and why they had not been at that point. Um, something I hope to never see again. And um, as an American, I was just hoping for the best to get things um, back under control and just be set right again. Listen, I, I think Congress did a great job by the end of that day. They were back in session. They were on the floor of the House and Senate. And uh, I applaud them for that work. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about uh, another network. You were a host at CNN for years. What do you think of CNN now? It obviously has changed a lot since your time there. Yeah, I, I tell you, uh, I was there for 10 years. Uh, it was a really a, a great professional and personal move for me. I was young, 30 years old, going to work there. And uh, I... <clears throat> I had the opportunity to do something that I wanted to do all of my adult life, and that was to go see the history uh, being changed uh, for the lives of millions of people in front of me. And I had great opportunities to do that, and I love my colleagues uh, uh, who were alongside with me uh, for that ride. You mentioned Afghanistan. You think about December of 2001 being part of the original footprint for the war on terror. That's what we did in Kandahar at the airport there. Mm. Uh, that was remarkable. And I, I look back at those days with great fondness, but I, I, I've been at Fox 15, 16 years now, and I've loved the place. Uh, it is really, it, it was the right move for me at the right time. And uh, I, I have not looked back. Now, uh, I'd say a lot of your colleagues would criticize CNN as having gotten more biased in the Trump era. Is that something you would refrain from doing? Or do you agree that it has drifted in a, in a way that might be more biased? Yeah, my, my feeling is that the producers and uh, the hosts for whatever program they're on, that, that, that is their duty to make a decision as to how they're going to cover a particular story. And I'm not going to get involved in it. Mm -hmm. um, what I do enjoy, though, is 9 to 11 for two hours every day. What I do enjoy is diving deep into these articles and trying to figure out the nuance of the story and understand it in a way that I can relate to my audience in a way that I think is the most accurate. And I, I, I try and do that every day. And I hope that's reflected. Now, I think I'm going to get a similar answer to that one. But I do want to ask you about the news and opinion divide at Fox News. Um, you're obviously on the news side. Um, does the controversy generated by the opinion side, which is, you know, it's obviously very highly rated. You guys have a huge following, but it does generate some controversy and it generates calls for advertiser boycotts. Does that ever bother you? Um, does it bother me? No, because I know there's people personally and I understand that they're very good at the job that they do. What I would hope is that they feel the same way about me being a colleague of theirs. Hmm. Uh, they have their job and I have mine, Zach. 
do you ever think the, the criticism or the calls for advertisement boycotts, do you ever think that's fair? That, uh, is what fair? The criticism or the calls for advertiser boycotts. Uh, no, I, listen, um, Tucker and Sean and Lauren are three of the best hosts you're going to find in the industry. And um, they produce the show they want every day. And if, if, if you want to watch it, it's there for you. Uh, conversely, uh, what Dane and I are trying to do every day is it's, it's a little different. And we, we try and line up those stories in a way that we think are fair um, from both sides and to give the audience that perspective. Hmm. Um, you know, I, my desire is not to be an opinion host. Um, I, I don't walk through the door every day with a thousand different ideas on how I can change government. It's just not the way I think. Um, and I, I, I think at 56, I'm not going to change. <laughs> Do you ever find it difficult to refrain from sort of injecting opinion to, of into, course. I mean, you're day. on the air two hours a day too. Yeah. You know, that's like, a, it's a lot of time to be, to be covering the news. Is it hard to maintain, you know, a completely unbiased, objective, you know, journalist uh, stance? Well, my feeling is that newsrooms can be some of the greatest democracies in America because you or me or some of our colleagues, we're all raised differently. And we bring that upbringing uh, into our, um, our views of the day, um, different religion, different families, different parts of the country. Um, it all goes into how we think and how we look at stories, sometimes very complicated. And, but I, I think collectively, if you can work through that together as a team and arrive at um, um, I, don't, I don't wanna say a, a middle ground, but if, if you can arrive at a point where you think, you know what, this is, um, this is the way to do it. We'll present it this way, it'll be mm -hmm. fair. And we'll let the viewers decide. I think a lot of that is what we've done over the past 15, 16 years. But yeah, I mean, your, your, your upbringing is different from mine. We can debate these issues and try and uh, find common ground on those. And I, I think that's the best example of what newsrooms can do. Now, some have noted that you have a different style to other anchors, mm -hmm. uh, like Shepard Smith, um, who's now at CNBC. He was your former colleague. Um, and I'm thinking of a lot of, you know, more of the, the, the more sort of aggressive anchors at CNN who are quicker to contest a claim made by a guest or issue a, a st strong fact check. Um, and your posture is less aggressive, less sometimes confrontational. Is that deliberate? Um, it's who I am. And if it's less deliberate, if it looks like that to you, then, I, then I'll, I'll take your explanation for that. Here's what I think. I don't know if you can learn a ton from always talking. But I think you can probably learn a lot by by listening. And I guess that's the way I approach it. It, it, it can, though, be an issue sometimes. I'm thinking of uh, your your interview with Trump. Now, obviously, he was on to talk about the, the death of Rush Limbaugh. Um, but, you know, it's Trump. So he gets into tangents and he pushed the false claim that he actually won the 2020 election. Well, Rush thought we won. And so do I, by the way. I, th I think we won by substantially. Uh, and uh, Rush thought we won, and uh, he thought it was over at 10 o'clock, 10.30, it was over. 
and a lot of other people feel that way too, but Rush felt that way strongly, and uh, many people do. Many professionals do. Does a claim like that not require a fact check in the interview? Yeah, I would I would argue yes if the content for being present was different that day. Mm-hmm. And I, I made it clear to the audience that we brought him on to talk about the life of Limbaugh and any other questions regarding election contests or uh, matters of the day were not appropriate for that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part, that was... That was the right call in the moment to make that to make that decision. Now, do you watch the the other networks? I mean, a fair amount. I mean, I'm, I'm a child of cable news. So, mm. yeah, I kind of live in that world. Yes. I'm curious specifically of what Bill Hemmer's media diet is like. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, it's a lot of time in the morning on the iPad uh, uh-huh. or the iPhone. Uh, it's New York Times, it's Wall Street Journal, it's a drudge to, to a degree, it's Fox News, certainly. Um, it's my Twitter feed to make sure that I, the people I choose to follow, um, that I'm aware and I'm, I've got an idea about what they're talking about that day. What do you, I, what I do you think put of, all that together, yeah. mesh that all together, that's probably the best reflection of what I do. What do you think uh, of- And Aiden, of, this, yeah. this, this box here, it, it's on all day. Yeah. The, the 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 four screens up there four screens um, what, the fourth yes what um what do you think of the drudge report since you mention it because i know a lot of um you know a lot of people on the right are concerned mm-hmm. that it's gone left in in the in the trump years and stayed there um you still read it i obviously still read it as well what do you, what do you think of drudge my, my feeling is that he just has an ability to edit stories in a way that no one else does and he has the ability to pull out headlines that no one else does and because he's got that ability, he can drive traffic for so many websites. Mm. I, I think Matt Drudge has just as much power now as he used to. Mm. And yeah. influence. Yeah, it's it's the 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 magic of it is that it hasn't changed. He hasn't changed typefaces yeah. in twenty years and still manages to get an enormous amount of traffic. True. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm I'm wondering, you know, it's it's hard to tell going forward, um, but. It, can you make, I know you don't like making predictions, but can you look forward into sort of the the, the future of the Biden administration? And do, do you have any sense of the idea of what kind of stories we're going to be covering mm-hmm. over the next couple of years? What kind of administration the Biden one is going um, to be? Uh, only in the near term, when I venture to make a guess, and it's only based on what I heard over this past weekend. And I, mm-hmm. I think AOC sort of gave us a tell on Friday night when she did a virtual chat online. And she pretty much said, if you go below $2 trillion in infrastructure, the progressive left is not going to be happy. I, I think that's really where the line is drawn. And if that's the signal that the White House is receiving, do they buy into that or do they try and cut a deal that is smaller to include not just two or three Republicans possibly, but a good number of them? Um, I, I think if they go the second route, it will be better for his long-term prospects. That's my feeling. If he goes the former route, then they're going to keep the left in their pocket a, a little while longer. I don't know what their calculation is, but I think it's either A or B in the near term. And um, what do you think we can expect from his joint uh, speech to Congress? Uh, I think it's going to be strange, actually. Um, mm. Look, 200 people in a room, still 200 people in a room. There's still a lot of people, but it's not 535. Mm. Um, you know, are they wearing masks? Are they socially distant? Do the cutaway shots look different? Look, I, I was at the inauguration. I just thought it was, it was, I covered a lot of inaugurations, Aiden, and it was, it was different. It was yeah. cold. It was windy. Uh, just seeing people 
you know, seated 10, 12 feet apart from each other. Uh, there's, that, that, that's a different site. Wednesday night's going to be interesting. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how long it goes. Mm. Um, but I think at least in the, it's like going to the Super Bowl in Tampa. The first two quarters were like, well, this is wacky. There's only 25,000 people in the stadium. I'm separated by a color cutout, you know, five across next to me. But by halftime, it felt like a regular football game again. So, so maybe that's how Wednesday night. Will be. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing I, th- I found noticeable about Biden, and, and there's been a lot of reporting and talk about this, is that he's proven to be a difficult target for Republicans. Mm. And because he's, you know, he's fairly well liked, he has high approval numbers. Um, he's sort of a, you know, he's he's a known entity. Um, he's been known for so many years, and it's it's sort of hard to make a villain out of him. Um, do you think that he'll be able to maintain that? Um, and do you think that's something? I mean, in his speech tomorrow night, do you think there are going to be things that Republicans are going to be able to to point to and say, yeah. look, you know, Biden is is a problem as president? As a problem, no. I, I'm sorry, I, I misheard your question mm. at the end. I think there'll be a few things that Republicans can applaud. And whether or not they come together and work together is a different matter. You know, what Republicans say is that they, they sent 10 senators to the Oval Office back on the 1st of February and said, here's our deal. Here's our starting point on COVID relief. I think it was $650 billion. Um, probably would have gone to a trillion easy. Uh, but that, that was their opening offer. And within 24 hours, Chuck Schumer turned around and went to reconciliation. That's the Republican version of it. If, if that's the next move this White House makes, I think you're going to unfortunately get everyone within the GOP to line up against him. Um, and that runs contrary to, uh, to who he was as a candidate, you know, one of unity and bipartisanship. And I, I can calm temperatures and bring people together. I don't think he's done that yet. Well, he might have calmed some temperatures, but he hasn't brought people together uh, in terms of legislating from the middle. And... Um, if he were to do that at some point, I think his presidency could be a huge success. Now, my my last question is is again about uh, New York and the Fox News headquarters. Um, uh, Fox News has said, I think Lachlan Murdoch said that they're they're looking at getting everyone back in the office around Labor Day, um, yeah. or or after. Are you are you looking forward to having some more company in the of office? Course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I miss my colleagues. <laughs> um, it, it will it'll be nice. What I find interesting is that for people who haven't been back for a year, Aiden, they come back and you walk down the hall and you go, whoa, there's a human beating heart. Welcome <laughs> back. How, how does it look to you? And how do you like being back? And what, mm. what are the changes that you notice? And I think for the most part, they like being back in the building, but I'm not necessarily convinced that they're willing to give up the last 13 months of working from home. That's, that's just the sense I get. Yeah, I think everyone's going to be at least pushing for some sort of hybrid version where they, at least in the summer, they get to take Fridays off uh, and, and work from home on Fridays. And then, you know, they can come into work from Monday to Thursday. But um, I anticipate that it's not going to be the full full work week for a little while. Yeah, you might be right about that. Look, I mean, pre-COVID, post-COVID, during COVID. There you go. That's All right. Bill Hemmer, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Aiden, thanks for having me on. I'll look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and check out coverage of my conversation with Bill Hemmer on Mediate.com. We'll see you next week.